The scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Genesis. If you're following in your pew Bibles, you'll find the reading on page uh, two. <laughs> and we're beginning to read at uh, verse, uh, chapter one, verse 26. Genesis one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all that he had made, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And now moving down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Phil Reinders. If you're new here, I'm the senior minister here at Knox, and it is great to be back at Knox. I was away for a two-week holiday. I hiked the West Coast Trail. My knees held out. Thank you for your prayers. <laughs> and it is good to see so many others of you back from holidays as well. Sort of uh, August, Labor Day, September is the great in-gathering again of everyone from all our different adventures over the summer months. I look forward to hearing everyone's stories. It's a delight to see everyone. Let's begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Father, we have heard a passage from Genesis. It is one of those foundational passages that speak such rich truth to us. And so we pray, God, that you would open up our ears so that we might hear the fullness, the wonder of all that you have to say to us today. And give us not only open ears, God, but open hearts so that we might live out the good truth and story of what you are speaking to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to tell you about Nora Watson. Nora Watson was a 28-year-old, university-educated woman, and she landed a job that she thought, this is the launch platform for my career. I cannot wait. It was with an organization that was publishing healthcare literature. 
and she was profoundly looking forward to this job. But as she entered into this professional world, she soon ran up against a sobering and a, a hard realization about her new career. And in her interview in which she talked about it, she said this, she said, jobs are just not big enough for people. A job like mine, she says, as much as I look forward to it, a job like mine, if you put your spirit into it, it would sabotage you. You don't dare to do that. And so what you do is you absent your spirit from it. My mind, she said, had become so divorced from my job except, except as a source of income. And she says, it's really absurd to live like that. Nora describes a feeling that so many of us have as we engage work. The feeling that our jobs, our careers, the modern workplace can sometimes diminish human dignity. That work, there is this sense that work ought to have this larger purpose and meaning, more than just a paycheck. But that hope, that dream, just seems out of reach for so many people. This week I read a review on three different books on work. Each of those books, looking at work, careers, showing how that despite how well-educated we all are, how focused we are on our careers, how really our careers have become sort of a religion for the university-educated uh, class, the reality of work and the working life remains a really hard thing. Most people don't like their work. I saw one study that shows majority of people don't like their work, or they don't like aspects of their work, or they spend the majority of their work thinking, I'd rather be doing some other parts of my work. We feel sometimes like jobs can turn us into machines, or we feel the need to defend the dignity of ourselves in the face of what can sometimes feel like humiliations of the workplace. Why is that? What's going on in this? The writer, the reviewer of those three books concludes this. The writer says, our core longing in our jobs is not fundamentally economic, not social, not political in nature, it's spiritual. Workers in the workplace are feeling the effects of, of a deep spiritual sickness. We have somehow lost a bigger story that would provide a context of meaning for our daily work that would provide a sense of purpose to our working lives. How we need that story that provides meaning. If our work is just drudgery that we endure to, you know, receive a paycheck, a necessary evil that we endure so that we can have the funds to finance the rest of our lives, of course a job is never big enough for a person. It will never provide for us the meaning and purpose that it was intended to. And so as a radical counterpoint to that whole ethos, that whole story of work, is the story of God in the Bible. And what we read this morning, beginning with Genesis and throughout the whole scripture, provides this beautiful, distinctive counterpoint, a compelling, hopeful perspective for our work and how we need this. Because most of us spend most of our waking hours at work, at a place of employment, in labor. And so... God's word 
has to provide some meaning and focus and purpose for us for that realm of our life, right? Genesis 1 and 2 tell the story of the creation of the world. It is this beautiful poem, a song sometimes people call it, and it maps out for us the contours of human life. It addresses the big questions of life, like why this world? And what is a human all about? And what is this life for? And Genesis shows us an extraordinarily high view of work. It shows us the goodness, the dignity of our work. In Genesis, we read, in the beginning. And what do we see from the very beginning? What we see, first thing that's revealed about God, is God is at work. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We read about God rolling up his sleeves, right, and forming matter and fashioning molecules and working with gravity and setting in place the laws of physics, setting in orbit planets and stars, developing color and texture and molecules. And then at the end of it all, in Genesis 2, we read, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And the seventh day, God finished his work he had been doing and he rested. God's creation of the world is described as work. The whole creation event is structured within a work week of six working days, one day of rest. And so as soon as the Bible begins talking about anything, it talks about work. As soon as the Bible reveals anything about God, it reveals that God is pictured as a worker, forming, separating, designing, fashioning, communicating, beautifying, empowering. Work is an integral part of creation itself. And so the Bible goes out of its way right from the get-go to affirm work as a good part of this world, this life that we live in. And so all of our work, no matter what job you hold, has a dignity to it because God works and calls us to be like Him. And I know some of us struggle with that, right? Because we think we have these Joe jobs, these menial tasks I have to do. And you wonder, does, does what I have, does what I do have meaning or purpose? Maybe you're at a working at a job that others would view as sort of, you know, low on the social totem pole, and, or you're finding parts of your job that are boring, maybe you think useless, a job that hardly requires your best, let alone your least. But Christianity crowns every worker that might be considered low by society with the highest worth and dignity. Hotel chambermaids, construction laborers, garbage collectors, they all in their work have deep value. I don't know how you feel about your job, but do not let anyone, including that self-editor in your own heart, say that your work is meaningless because God affirms it as good. Remember, this is the God who has dirt under his fingernails, who got rolled up his sleeves right away, right from the get-go in creation. And, and so I think Genesis critiques some of our uh, stratification of important jobs and unimportant jobs and says, no, 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 all work is vitally important. It also, I think, critiques sort of the hierarchy we can sometimes construct in Christian circles, you know, with 
pastors and missionaries at the top doing really holy work and then maybe helping professionals if you're a doctor or a counselor and then you got a little lower down and Genesis 1 and 2 comes against that strongly helping us to see the full holy nature of all of our work whatever it is that we do we got to reclaim that biblical perspective because without it something in us dies that story of nora and those three books that were reviewed all chronicle people's story of how without a picture of story a construct of meaning for their work we die without it british novelist dorothy sayers she was an essayist she wrote a really fine um essay on work called why work look it up google it it's available online <clears throat> And she talks about that without a Christian understanding of work, we, we, we spiritually die inside. And then she writes what that view of work is. She says, what is the Christian understanding of work? She says, it is work that is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is or should be the full expression of our human faculties. It is the medium in which we offer our lives to God our work it is the context it is the medium in which we offer our lives to god our work no matter your job is is first of all a response to god we work we're not working for the man we're working for god it is worship it is an act of love and obedience what we do and our labor is good god names work as good there's this repeated blessing throughout genesis if you read genesis 1 God saw it was good. All of God's work is good, and the human call to work is good. Now, here's a really important thing to remember about this story. This is all pre-fall. This is before the fall into sin, before sin tainted the world and everything in it. A lot of people might think work yeah, this is just the product of the fall, right? It's sort of a part of the curse that we experience. No, Genesis, no. Actually, this comes before. In paradise, in Eden, in this place of great beauty and harmony, work is not a consequence of the fall. It's not a part of the curse. It's part of the goodness of creation. And so when you work, you are touching at some of the primeval goodness of the universe, of God's creation. All God's work, all our work, is blessed and named as good and not only because god is involved and it's part of the design of creation but also it's because it's a part of how we are made we are made humans are made in the image of god meaning we reflect something of god and this is the dignity of work work is good because it has an inherent dignity to it because it is like what god does Adam and Eve were given as the very first command the dignity of being co-creators with God, co-laborers, vice-regents, someone says. They're sort of like placed as kings and queens over creation, called to rule over it. They're called to take care of creation, to develop its potential, um, to, to cultivate it. In Genesis 1, verse 28, God says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. So God charges human beings with the task of working the world. All of that God created. Humans are given a job to do, to rule the earth, to work it, to cultivate it, 
to bring out its potential. And then in Genesis 2, verse 15, we read a similar sort of echo of what happened in Genesis 1. And it says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. So humans were created by God for that very purpose, to work creation, to care for it, to protect it, to prepare it. And so when you're using your gifts in your work, whether by making clothes or practicing law or landscaping a garden or healing broken bodies or nurturing children, you are participating in image-bearing of God. God not only sends out ministers to the world to give the world sermons and teaching, but He sends doctors to bring healing and medicine. He sends teachers who impart wisdom. He sends carpenters to bring shelter. He sends consultants to give direction. All of this is part of the image-bearing of who God is. And you know what's the fascinating thing about this passage? Genesis 2, verse 15. There's two words that is used to describe the task God has given to Adam and Eve. It is to work and to take care. Those very same Hebrew words, which are abad and shamar, we don't have to worry about that, but those same words are used in Numbers 3, verse 7 and 8, and in many other points when they talk about the duties of the priests in the temple. All the priests are to work and to take care of the temple. But that's what Adam and Eve are called to do, because they are placed as priests in creation. And that means all of us, no matter who you are or what your work is, you are called by God to be a priest, to be a minister, to worship God with your work. In the creation story, creation is pictured as a temple. That's the way the story narrates it. Uh, the, the whole universe is a temple in which God dwells and God resides. And the human pair, the human community, is a priestly community. They're called to be God's representatives in this created world, to work it, to serve it. Humans, Adam and Eve, you and I, we are created in God's image and we're placed in this creation to care for it to work it, to draw out all of the God potential, all of God's voice that is inherent in creation, we draw it out. And that means our work is very spiritual. It is an act of worship. This is our calling as Christians in our work. This is the high calling. Do you see how it gives all of our work an entirely different story to live out of? We represent God to the world. We represent His good purposes. Now, we do live in a fallen world, and our workplaces, they get filled, don't they, with brokenness, with practices and politics that sometimes degrade and diminish human life, where people can feel expendable. Those broken workplaces need image bearers of God, priests and ministers who will be agents of healing and redemption, both in individual job descriptions, but in whole industries that need redemption. And Jesus sends us into our working weeks as priests charged with caring for this world. So Christians serve to do good work. We offer our best energy. We work to make our offices and shops and factory floors humane places, places that are filled with the goodness of creation. We seek to reorient our work and employment systems towards what's good for our employees and customers and communities as a whole. 
And we carry not only the good work of God, but here's another interesting thing. We're called to follow the pattern of how God works. The world God created was made in and for well-being, for the full flourishing. God created this world so that humans and everything in creation can fully flourish. And so in all of our jobs, that is the purpose we're called to pursue. How can I be part of that flourishing for others in my work, for my coworkers? How can I cause my boss to flourish? How can I cause those underneath me who I supervise to flourish, who I work alongside on my team? How can I cause the industry I'm a part of to flourish, to come alive with all of its God potential? This is our calling in our work, to, to work the material that we have, the raw materials, and use it in service of the flourishing of all things. This is the pattern we're called to emulate. This is the pattern of God, taking the raw materials of, say, fabric and rearranging it into functional and beautiful clothing items. To take the raw materials of a patch of dirt and work it and cultivate it and draw out of it a garden of beauty and fruitfulness. To take the raw materials of a blank canvas and paints and pigments and work it to create art that stirs the heart. To take the raw materials of a young person and open that person up to the beauty of math and history and literature. That is part of our biblical vision, but it's even bigger yet. Because in doing all this work, as we pursue our calling to work, as we pursue God's pattern of bringing about flourishing, what we're doing is we're giving witness to something of God as well. We are reflecting something of the uniqueness of who God is. Think of your work. Think of what you do. The, just the, the, the stuff you do on a daily basis how that, we need an imagination to understand how that can reflect something of who God is. Think this through for a minute. Think of a trade. Think of an electrician. And electricians are trades that are are there usually at the beginning of a job, and they're setting conduits, and they're pulling wire, and then they come back near the end of the job, making sure the power runs right, the lights come on, and like God, they bring power and light to life. Electricians channel power so that our appliances work, so that we can feed our families, so that computers and phones are powered up and we can communicate. Electricians bring things to life. Consider a first responder or a firefighter. If anyone, a first responder, sees the brokenness of this world, right? All the ways this world can unravel and come apart and get destroyed. They are presented with bodies or buildings that are suffering trauma, broken or burning, in desperate need of rescue. And while everyone else is running away from the danger, these people run into the danger. And they show us something of the Savior who does that very thing, who enters the wreck of our world, taking on himself our pain, our punishment, providing the rescue we desperately need. And when those first responders administer healing and bring some order to chaotic situations, it's like there's a restoration in the balance of the world. All that is broken is somehow pushed back, and they help mend the fraying fabric of a broken, sinful world. Isn't that like God? 
Or how about a stylist, a hairstylist? I don't see them because, well, you can see why. A stylist who takes your hair, right? Who looks at your face, who gets to understand who you are and gives you a cut, considers your eyes and the proportions of your face, the color taking into consideration the uniqueness of you and through their design makes you feel like a whole new person, right? They draw out from you a beauty or a radiance that maybe you never knew was in you. That is an echo of what God does for us, isn't it? creating us, but restoring, healing, drawing out from each of us the truth of who we are. Think of a caregiver, whether that's a parent or a dad or a nanny or a child worker who pour themselves out for the sake of a child. They take in someone who's vulnerable, someone who needs protection and nurturing. They come down to a child's level of understanding. They read books that are not at their intellectual level. They wipe body parts they would rather not wipe. They patiently deal with tantrums. And parents, you know, they get up at hours, they would not rather get up. They provide guidance and nurture. They sacrifice something of themselves so that another life flourishes. This is who God is. This is what he is constantly doing, sacrificing himself so we might flourish. Do you see the, the big vision of this? How in each of our work, we are imaging something of God to a watching world. We got to do a whole lot more thinking and studying about how we understand our work and how it is a vital part of our following of Jesus in the world. Because, and, and seeing how our work fits into God's kingdom and is part of his purposes to bless this city, to bless our world. We have to do this work because work is where we spend most of our times and we need to ask ourselves as we work, wherever we work, we need to ask ourselves who it is we're working for. God provides the, the greatest sense of purpose and meaning for our work. So much of our work goes sideways. It gets distorted when we forget who it is we're working for. You know, in that job that feels menial, who are you working for? Just to get a paycheck? You're just working for the money? Or are you working at a job just to please someone else? I remember speaking with a lawyer who was in that profession because he felt the burden of his parents' expectation. And after a whole lot of time and study and counseling, he stepped out of the legal profession and is now pursuing something where he feels God has called him to. Because um, he realized, I need to work for God, not for my parents' pleasure or happiness. Are you working hard to meet someone else's expectations? or at your job, you know, the one you enjoy, where you're on your career track, who are you working for? Are you working for career success or significance to make yourself feel important or successful? In so many ways, our work gets distorted when we forget who it is we work for, which is why Paul says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you work at, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. 
I mean, there is the simple, seems so simple, but it's a transforming truth that dignifies our work, that keeps our work in its proper place. As we do it in the name of Jesus, as we do it as an act of worship to God, we work for the sheer pleasure of bringing joy to our Savior. And until we learn to work for God's sake, our work is going to betray us. Until we learn for God's to work for God's sake, either our work will be too important for us or it'll be too insignificant for us. You'll either work yourself to death or you'll get so cynical about work. But a Christian gladly gives themselves to God in their daily work because we know we don't justify ourselves in our jobs because we are already justified, already approved by what Jesus has done for us through the cross. And so we gladly work for our loving Lord, knowing that he is not a harsh taskmaster, but the one who has served us and blessed us, the one who gives us rest. We rest in the finished work of Christ. So friends, this week, go serve God in whatever you do, wherever your job is, whatever office or shop or factory floor, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. God of heaven and earth, we pray, God, for your kingdom to come. We pray for your will to be done in every office, in every home, in every factory, in every study carol, as it is in heaven. God, we pray that you would teach us to see all of our vocations, our occupations as woven into your work in the world this week. For mothers at home who care for children, for those whose labor forms our common life in this city, in the nation, in the world, for those who serve the marketplace of ideas and commerce, for those whose creative gifts nourish us all, for those whose callings take them into the academy, for those who long for employment that satisfies their souls and serves you, for those who are beginning a new career, for those who struggle in their work, for those who are seeking new or different jobs, for those who are retired or anticipating retirement, for each one we pray asking for your great mercy. Give us eyes, God, to see that our work is holy to you, even as our worship is holy to you today. And because of this beautiful vision, God, we want to affirm our commitment to follow Jesus Christ in all the vocations and jobs you've called us to. God, would you enable us by Christ's love as we endeavor each day to make our work a sacrament and an act of worship to you. May the Holy Spirit guide and strengthen each one of us as we bear faithful witness to Jesus, as we carry on his work of reconciliation in the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.